0: Tuning into another episode of the Page Turns Podcast. I am your host, Elgin Bailey. We are currently in season four, episode number 11. This particular season, we are walking through, discussing, and laughing and everything else. Um, and, you know, in regards to Dr. Jared A. Ball's brilliant work and the myth and propaganda of black buying power. Uh, We are currently in chapter five. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. If you are catching this on YouTube, uh, like, subscribe, share. Matter of fact, man, wherever the hell you're listening to this at and watching, whatever the hell, please share, like, subscribe, all that. Uh, Here at the page turners. Our mission is liberation through pages. And I read. For McNeil, buying power meant an odd mixture of reality and myth. That is, on one hand, she was right when claiming buying power is evidence in the appearance of more black people in commercials. This, of course, is where the myth of buying power originates in advertising and marketing campaigns targeting black consumers to transfer their dollars to sellers, owners, and producers of those goods and services, some black, but mostly white companies. But McNeil also, on the other hand, took up the mythic and fallacious side as well in arguing that these overtures by white companies and advertisers to black consumers was an extension of boycotts and sit-ins and other general work of those like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The interview was taped in February at all, Black History Month, right? Hers was a continuation of a tradition or pattern of having commercial forms of definitions of buying power, be those that supplant historic or contemporary critique. McNeil, of course, did not <laughs> discuss Dr. King's increasingly radicalism, frustrations with the lack of progress of boycotts and non-violent protests. Or his evolving preference for socialism or, at minimum, massive government intervention in the redistribution of wealth. McNeil did not raise King's own published and previously mentioned critique of buying power or his clear condemnation of consumerism as a path to equality. This demonstrates the power of propaganda and the myths propulsion via both the myths creators in commercial media, and the myth's more easily and broadly digestible inherent politics. Timely it was then, again, not long after, May of 2014, the Pew Research Center put out their report demonstrating another of the myth's more misleading components, one accepted just before by McNeil herself. For instance, as we have seen. Both Nielsen and Sillick based their claims largely on estimates and projections, often connected to spending patterns with claims that Black consumers spend more than other communities on low-level goods like electronics, clothing, and personal care items, and that this translates into power. It is one more reflection back to the origins of the myth and the focus on black consumers preferring name brand items which can demonstrate an overt societal advance. In other words, black people want to look good, so as the marketing argument goes, it is to that reality that advertising should be directed. But as Pew showed, the costs of those very base and easy accessible items continue to plummet with the cost of life-saving and altering health care, education and child care have all soared. Of course then people buy what they can afford, right? have access to or items for which they have been given specific credit. The practice of journalism, has always involved forms of political, and ideological, and commercial struggles, and it has not gone unnoticed that one feature of those contests is those which involve class or labor. The need for commercial press to generate as much revenue from the business ad ad buying community has often set limitations on how much and from which frame issues of finance and labor are covered. One outcome of this arrangement is that often these issues are reported from the perspective of business leadership or the commercial class, leaving not a lot of room for nuance, depth, but plenty for the big headlines and easily repeated simplifications and myths. And when it comes to buying power and the 20 plus years of its claim being reported unchecked, it becomes much faster for journalists to, at best, repackage, rewrap, and deliver again. In September of 2014, having little time and a structured bias, disinterest in covering what is too far beneath the surface, the claim that black America somehow equates to other national economies grabbed national headlines again. Only this time I was contacted and could experience firsthand the immaterial forces at play impacting a final reported outcome. We hear that all the time, where the buying power, the $1.3 trillion of buying power, equates to other national economies. And you're going to hear it further as we dig further into Dr. Ball's work. And I read, Larry Elder, oh geez, Larry Elder. Uh, Larry Elder, a veteran black conservative political pundit, while engaged in a back and forth with the then CNN host Mark Lamont Hill, in what was an odd buying power twist, used the myth as it was originally intended as evidence of an absence of societal racism. In their argument over police violence in Ferguson, Missouri, Elder claimed that media were taking political advantage by over-dramatizing what is to him at this point a diminished or ineffectual leftover kind of racism, nothing like what was used to exist. Upward mobility was not an issue as much as, again, Black people simply not taking better advantage of what are endless possibilities, he went on. And listen to this, fam. This is what happens in America, Elder said. If black America were a country, it would be the 15th wealthiest country in the world. For crying out loud, this is not our grandfather's America, and we ought not to act like it. How often have you heard that shit before? Pundit Fact contacted me regarding Elder's claim and their investigation provides a really nice example of the process described thus far. My comments would not make the final published story. Only reference to my work would be noted, a point I raised in a post-publication email exchange with this author. Good for you. Shout out to Dr. Ball for reaching back out to the author. And I read, I wanted to point out that while their story concludes that elders claim must be rated as false, they do so at the expense of what actually made it so. My argument was, is that buying power is not a concept based in factual data or numbers, but extrapolations of spending, which does not explain or demonstrate the real economic conditions of the consumers. Elders regurgitation of the old national GDP comparison is without merit in that first and again the numbers claimed regarding buying power are not tied to any actual measurement. Secondly, GDP does not detail inequality within an economy and importantly, Black people do not collectively hold power over the supposed collective sums they spend with an ability to use those funds as they choose. And As previously stated, GDP does not explain a national relationship to a global economy that is colonial relationships, when ultimately results from such claims are attitudes that black people remain unequal as a result of their own poor decision making. Pundit fact agree with the fundamental critique of GDP as an inappropriate method for determining the condition of individuals or groups within an economy, but only spoke with an econo- economics professor at NYU who suggested they use per capita income instead, and not that they challenge or even investigate the claim of buying power or comparisons between black spending and national economies. Then <laughs> they didn't even investigate it. Okay, And I read, what made the claim false for Pundifact, in fact, was merely that Elder got his placement of Black America wrong. What? So it wasn't even a fact that... uh, First, they note that by this own calculation, Black people would have ranked 16th rather than 15th, but that using the suggested per capita income approach, concluded that the ranking would really be 44th my discussion of the numbers themselves being false, misused, or poorly interpreted, or that buying power is altogether just a marketing tool for advertising purposes only, all were omitted and yet much remain revealed. Or can only confuse. Of course, this is not. For puny fact, what makes the claim false? Only the poor placement on the GDP debt chart as a story's author wrote me in response. My editor and I thought it would be demonstrative to carry through the per capita calculations to show that there were more wrong with elder statement, statistically, than just the buying power versus GDP distinction. Here's the kicker, ladies and gentlemen, I also figured that the 44 for Black America versus 7 for America overall was a good way of demonstrating inequality without pontificating too much on the issue. Lord knows you pontificate too that much. We're not revising so much as pointing out an addition flaw with Elders Point besides the buying power versus GDP. And I read What is shown here is how the imposition of buying power into conversation powerfully limits analysis and interpretation. The author demonstrates an intense contradiction by saying on the one hand that that we should not use GDP to study the condition of a community, but then uses the per capita figure to put black people right back on that GDP scale only with a more accurate and lower ranking. This adjustment of chart position is considered a good way to demonstrate inequality. Not only does this continue to reaffirm the use of a GDP scale, but most importantly, continues to accept buying power as a concept. And worse than that, reinforces the myth of an economic or political agency that does not exist by suggesting, even at a lower rank, that black collective earnings can be equated to a national policy decisions regarding national economies is misleading to suggest as buying power does that black people can make collective decisions about their con- consumption in such a way as to equate them with a national economies or enormous sums of private wealth is again distortion what makes elders claim false, it is inherently acceptance of buying power and its mythological, political, and ideological tentacles of distorted economic realities, potential, or the resonance of real wealth, and the role political policy plays in determining that address. In September of that same year, 2014, I co-hosted an interview with economist Dean Baker of the Center for Economic Policy and Research and Janet Huzo of the United for Fair Economy, who had conducted workshops in conjunction with that year's report, titled, Healthcare for Whom? Enduring Racial Disparities. The purpose of that interview was to primarily engage the two on their work and to show existing overlaps in the work as they relate to the actual economic conditions of people within the United States. My other primary interest was to ask them about buying power. Each demonstrated how their own work without particular intent to do so challenges or discredits the myth of consumption as a means to achieve equality. My role then as a radio host, also beyond the wonderful ability to produce and select guests, allowed me to take the opportunity to ask each about how their work related to my own on buying power. In each case, the guests were incredulous at the idea that buying power was anything other than false representation of economic realities. Neither were particularly familiar with the myth itself. But neither were also given their areas of expertise. Baker, general national economies, and Huzo, specific conditions of Black and Latino workers, convinced that such power could exist or be described as such. Baker recognized the hist- histories of oppressed groups making use of boycotts and having Black, as he said, purchasing power effects some change, but he also acknowledged this is being limited in its impact and as having nothing to do with the redistribution of wealth or the closing of economic income gaps. In fact, Baker said that buying power and boycotts have little to do with the overall economic state of the African-American community in the United States. Huzo, for her part, Make clear that these concepts have nothing to do with broader myths of gender and racial groups closing gaps and distract from the real thing of inequality. 2015 began with more interesting news regarding a critique of buying power. The Global Poverty and Justice Group Oxfam released a report in which they argued that by 2016. The combined wealth of the richest 1% will overtake that of other 99% of people next year unless the current trend of raising inequality is checked. It was my argument then that though this report was not specific to buying power or black economics per se, that black buying power must be reconsidered once more in light of a global economic reality which was witnessing such massive transfers of wealth upward. In other words, where is power to be derived by consumption in such an increasing unequal world? But such questions struggle for answers in a media marketplace or public sphere so dominated by a precise kind of article which would appear just four months later in the Washington Informer A prominent black press outlet titled, The Solution for Blacks. (sighs) The article was representative of press coverage of related matters and showed again the misfunction and impact. Its argument there is nothing but black financial literacy. Hold on. I want to get this correct because this part makes me very, very frustrated and agitated because... the the bullshit that is about to be spewed. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. There is nothing but black financial illiteracy impeding progress and the solution is for black people to become successful American capitalists. What's wrong with black Americans is our lack of accomplishments and understanding of collective capitalism. Blacks have billed themselves as the richest in the world. But our status may be comparable to that of being the brightest kids in the dumb row. Whites' medium household wealth is 12.9 times that of black households, $141,000 to $11,000. It's become commonplace that the annual state of black America is always bad or worse. The solution for the plight of blacks in America will not come from whites but within. The key for Blacks is for us to become successful American capitalists. Jeez, how insidious is that? And I continue to read. And more specifically, Blacks must develop habits to buy Black, bank Black, and use political power collectively to promote Black-based and oriented issues in legislation. First and foremost, Blacks' habits and mindsets must change. According to a 2007 study performed by the Silic Center for Economic Growth, African-American buying power totals $1.1 trillion, Factor in our e- income and African-American blacks are the 20th richest nation on the planet. So why doesn't each of us make a resolution to buy black? Each black household should make at least a monthly commitment to make $100 or more Purchase of gasoline, groceries, liquor, clothing, dry cleaning, furniture, recreation, dining, etc., from a black merchant. As if we got those black merchants, though. That's the thing. When we even say shit like that, and you see how Dr. Ball is showing that the myth is just regurgitated over and over again, and it's regurgitated by black media. Damn. And I read but this was merely one of at least 19 more national print news items just in 2015, which referenced buying power connected specifically to the Silic Center's claims. If the ProQuest search variables are changed to buying power in African American, more than 130 newspaper and magazine results return. These are just print journalism numbers. For one calendar year, January 1, 2015 through December 31, 2015, and do not count references made in radio, television, podcasts, web videos, activist meetings, or pulpits. In fact, another one of those national news items came just one month later, during Black History Month. Nielsen produced a fresh video promoting their Conscious Consumer campaign. Featuring black millennials excitedly describing how their buying power was a reflection of advancing black consciousness and pride. The video performs with near-perfect perfection, the pre- previous described goal of redefining black power as commercial consumption or shopping. The objective cannot be more overtly expressed than it was in Nielsen's video description. Nielsen is honored. <laughs> honored. What the? F- Nielsen is honoring Black History Month by celebrating their culture, influence, and increasingly significant role of African-American consumers. But they say that as if somehow black folks, African-American consumers using their trash language, have gotten an increase in wealth. Like, how do we get this increasingly significant role? You feel me? And I read, in our video series, four millennial conscious consumers discuss their buying habits as it relates to this new black power. Check out the first video below and share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, using the hashtag, hashtag conscious consumer. God damn. And I read, Nixon's plan to redefine black power as black capitalism could not have found a more competent contemporary. Black control over localized, segregated black economies, no matter how flawed or limited that concept may have been or may be, or more radical forms of black power expanding to mean mean pan-Africanism and scientific socialism are old. The new black power is spending money, even in one's own neighborhood, where ownership and redistribution are not at all required. And I want to read that again because I think... That is, in that one paragraph, there's so much history in there. You've heard me mention uh, Black Awakening in Capitalist America by Robert L. Allen a number of times. He breaks down Nixon's plan to the very last compound. And let me read this paragraph again. Nixon's plan to redefine Black power as Black capitalism could not have found a more competent contemporary Black control over localized, segregated black economies, no matter how flawed or limited that concept may have been, may be, or more radical forms of black power expanding to mean pan-Africanism and scientific socialism are old. The new black power is spending money, even in one's own neighborhood where ownership and redistribution are not at all required. and I read the happy beautiful exuberant black young women and men in the video promoted an economic power and political consciousness in stark contrast to the state of the dream report from United for Fair Economy which was released just one month earlier and which coincidentally also receives far less press coverage than do routine unfounded claims of buying power for example ProQuest searches returned only three magazine references to the UFE reports since the first of their annual publications in 2004. Two, from 2012 in the crisis, one in 2008 in essence, none were about the issue of buying power. Searching Black Press USA, the joint web presence of America's Black Community Newspapers, and the NNPA news services the last national black press newswire, there are only 6 references since 2004 to the U.F.E. and none since 2014, while there are seemingly endless lists of resources when the search variables changed to buying power. Beginning in 2004, U.F.E. has produced annual detailed economic analysis of African America demonstrating full reversals or painfully slow games with little ultimate positive impact on the whole since the assassination of Dr. King in 1968, hence the name, State of the Dream. Most of what those UFE reports detailed is what would be King's own often suppressed legacy of criticism of the limited progress made during the Civil Rights Movement or his ultimate reference to his dream as having become a nightmare. Part of King's conclusion was a result of his realization by 1968 that change had been more symbolic than material and that new levels of heightened struggle would be necessary if anything more meaningful was to take place. And while Nielsen was promoting in 2015 a new black power, the conscious consumer, the UFE State of the Dream report in 2015 was titled Underbanked and Overcharged. Reflecting King's own criticism, summarize in part that dreams are powerful things. Dreams reveal that which is most human about us our hopes, our fears, our visions for a better tomorrow. Even though it has been 51 years since Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. famously shared his dream of an America made available to all, regardless of skin color or economic status, we are still fighting for many of the same principles that the civil rights movement stood for. Many are seeing and experiencing much of the social strife that rises to the surface when people unite to challenge the status quo. We know exactly who today's dream killers are. Banks on Wall Street. Payday lenders, check cashers, auto title lenders, those in the student loan business, all the companies that drain the wealth of marginalized individuals in the name of profit or shareholder returns, the workers that are economically preyed upon, those dreams deserve better. I shame. and I read, in 2013, the report continues, White households had a hundred and forty one thousand median wealth, while African American families had just eleven thousand median wealth, and Latino households had thirteen thousand dollars in median wealth. This equates to black America having roughly seven percent or less than half the median wealth relative to whites held in the initial UFE report from two thousand and four. In that report they wrote In 2001, the typical black household had a net wealth of just $19,000, including home equity. Compared with $121,000 for whites, blacks had 16% of the median wealth of whites, up from 5% in 1989. At this rate, it will take until 2099 to reach parity in the median wealth. A ProQuest search for United for a Fair Economy during the 2015 calendar year returned 12 results, none from the black press. There is less money generated for black media owners or owners of media targeting black consumers in discussions which reflect a much more dire economic reality and one in which, according to those same UFE reports, calls for more government public policy solutions as opposed to focusing on spending habits. From the perspective of the state, from dominant white commercial interests, this kind of reporting imbalance serves both the earliest initial intent, at least a portion of reducing the likelihood of labor unrest by simultaneously having reporting and subsequent discussions of black inequality be couched largely within discussions of black self-help and self-imposed poverty. In August of that same 2015, Minister Louis Farrakhan, it was reported, spoke with 50 black publishers and editors about the $1.3 trillion in buying power black people could be spending more wisely and using 10% of which to deposit in black banks, which would then in turn be used to invest in businesses, hospitals, and colleges. The message was similar to, track with the previous described precedent of using unattributed numbers as basis for grand political pronouncements promising possibilities would do not exist. This was also another example of the implicit argument from being black inequality having anything to do with bad economic habits or more wasting of opportunities. For instance, just prior to that August discussion was more reporting from Alger Austin of the Economic Policy Institute, the cost of being black. Austin was a kind of parody of the claims indirectly associated with buying power where, for example, the price for entrance into blackness would be $130,000, or the difference in median wealth between black and white people, or $11,500,000. Charge for the difference in median income, a reality where black people are twice as likely to look for jobs but not find one, or to be twice as likely killed by police, and so on. Similarly, not long after those relatively well-reported comments of Minister Farrakhan was new reporting reflecting an old reality, that the land he and others had recommended be purchased with a redirected buying power is already owned. 98% to be exact. By white American families. In fact, it only takes the top five white landowners to eclipse all the land owned, which is less than 1% of all the U.S. land by all of black Americans combined. (laughs) Let me read that again. Similarly, Not long after those relatively well reported comments of Minister Farrakhan, was new reporting reflecting on old reality that the land he and others often recommend be purchased with redirected buying power is already owned 98% to be precise by white American families. In fact, it only takes five white landowners to eclipse all the land owned which is less than 1% of all U.S. land by all of black America combined and later that same year in December yet another report was released demonstrating the limitations on the potential for parity according to the Institute for Policy Studies one needed only count the top 100 wealthiest people in that country to eclipse all the wealth held by all of Black America combined. And I read, These comparisons are not meant to create a false standard of whiteness or material definition of success. The contradictions find their greatest value demonstrating what potential there is or is not. Tremendous... That, that, that whole top 100 wealthiest people in the country to eclipse all the wealth held by black America that's, that's rough and I read tremendous accumulation of percentages of land wealth and stock and other assets including income disparities and previously described penalties for blackness such as over policing also limit potential and I am going to stop right there ladies and gentlemen She's when Dr. Ball with his great research begins to share the data about the current state of where we are it's rough it's rough and the same thing is still being propagated, the same message is still being pushed black capitalism, black capitalism black capitalism financial literacy, better spending habits, but we need massive redistribution of wealth, debt jubilee. We need public policy change. So I encourage everyone, man, if you're listening to this and you are not a part of an organization, join one. Organize, organize, organize. This has been another episode of the Pace Turners Podcast with your host, Elgin Bailey. The PageSearch Podcast is distributed by KeystoneDigital.tv. As always, we believe in liberation through pages. Till next time, we out.